0: Okay, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we continue to ask you to be with us whenever we come together. We know that you're here. Um, We pray for our time, that you would be Lord of it. Help us to speak and think clearly about you and your word. Um, Help us to get back on track where we're wrong. Help us to stand firm where we're in your word and will. Um, And help us to see the difference. Please lead us um, as we answer confusing questions. Speak to us clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, before we get to the questions that I received from the class this year, there are only two of them. But before I address them specifically, I want to reiterate that the question and answer period does not have to end when our time together this morning ends, I want you—I want to be available to you to discuss these things at any time. These things and anything. So that's literally my whole job. Um, well, not my whole job, but a big part of it. Um, I wanted to also mention that last year's question and answer session is on our website, along with the talks themselves. The talks that you heard this year are just the same as I gave last year. That's why I didn't record them again, but the questions are obviously unique to that class, that group of people. So if you're interested in hearing some of my answers to those questions, which are not the same as this year's, they're on the website. You can find them under the Formation tab on the Formation Class Archive page. That's actually a really cool page in general. It's got all the recordings from all the classes That we've done. So check out last year's questions. Do feel free as well to ask me about this stuff or any other stuff at any time. So let's get to this year's questions. Um, One, modern culture dismisses any sexual behavior as okay. Is sexual sin worse than other sin? Modern culture ignores sexual sin, declines to recognize it as sin. So I think it's inarguably true that our modern culture declines to recognize sexual sin as sin. In fact, it declines in large part to recognize the category of sin at all. No such thing exists, and to recognize sin as a thing requires an acknowledgement that there is something to sin against, right? A law-giving Lord against whom sin might be committed. Of course, any moral requirement at all requires a foundation for that morality, but the degradation of all moral standards is a phenomenon that we're addressing in our Wednesday night class, uh, Scripture the Self and Society. You should come to that if you haven't been, or check out the recordings on the Formation Class archive page. You really sort of talk about our culture's increasing unwillingness to recognize the category of sin at all. So this morning, I'm not going to talk so much about sin in general, but I do want to address the actual question part of this question, which is, is sexual sin worse than other sin? And I think I need to answer it in two parts. One, can it be true that some kind of sin is worse than some other kind of sin? And two, if that's true... Is sexual sin one of the categories that's somehow worse than others? I think I have to address the first question because it feels like we should say that all sin is the same. I think I've even maybe said that myself. I did a little bit of research this week or these last few weeks to prepare for answering this question. And I think that the idea, quote, that all sin is the same needs some clarification, as we start, I want to draw your attention to James chapter 2. I think we get a verse there which might be used to argue, at least theoretically, that all sin is the same. Here's James chapter 2 and verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has, been, has become guilty of all of it. So the sinner who steals is guilty in the same way as the person who murders. And with regard to sexual sin, we have Jesus In Matthew 5, saying that the man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her. So, all sin is the same, right? Well, I've decided that I think it's more complicated than that. First, I want to note that in the Old Testament law, not all sin is punished in the same way. Some sin is punishable by death. Some is simply punished by the requirement of restitution. And even within the same categories of sin, say theft, not every instance of theft is punishable in the same way. In Exodus, for instance, if you stole an ox and either slaughtered or sold it, you'd have to repay five oxen. But if you did the same thing with a sheep, if you stole a sheep and either slaughtered or sold it, you'd only have to repay four sheep. So judging by punishment, stealing an ox was worse than stealing a sheep. Even the famous eye-for-an-eye tooth-for-tooth scripture implies that punishment should fit the crime and that not every sin was to be punished in the same way. And we have examples of this in the New Testament, too. In John 19, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, he tells Pilate that the only reason Pilate has any authority over him is that he's been given that authority from above. And then Jesus says something interesting. This is uh, John 19, 11. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So it's a greater sin, it seems, to have handed Jesus over to Pilate than to be Pilate, giving Jesus over to be crucified. So as we interpret the James 2 passage, it seems better to say, not so much that all sin is the same, but that all guilt is the same. Any transgression of the law carries with it the same guilt under the law as it would as if you had transgressed the whole thing. So it's not that murder isn't worse than lying. I think we'd all want to logically say that murder is worse than lying. It's that both murderers and liars are found guilty in light of God's law. They have, as Paul writes, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, to sexual sin specifically, here's... 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 15, going through the end of the chapter. It's a little bit longer section than I read in my talk on sexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written... Now, there's obviously a lot in this piece of scripture, and I don't think it's totally clear in what way sexual sin is worse than other sin. Obviously, there's this distinction between sin outside your body and sin against your own body, but with the backdrop of the possibility that we looked at already with sin not necessarily being all the same, it does seem that because sexual sin is uniquely against your own body which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's categorized here as worse than other sins, which are outside the body. Again, not in terms of punishment, but in terms of guilt. Wait, flip that. Not in terms of guilt, but in terms of sort of worldly result. So yes is my theological answer to the question, is sexual sin worse than other sins? I think the biblical witness is yes. And yes is also my practical answer to the question, and this is one that I think that we all know instinctively, that there are few things so close to the soul and so potentially life-destroying than sexual sin. I mean, we all know people probably and certainly have heard stories of people who were brought to a crashing end by sexual sin. Now, before moving on, I should clarify that this hierarchy of sin, if you want to call it that, where one sin is worse than another, all happens, as I implied earlier, on the other side of the dividing line between righteousness and unrighteousness. Right? Almighty God is perfect and holy. In him, says John, is no darkness at all, and any sin is enough to separate us from him. At the same time, though, no sin, sexual or otherwise, is enough to put you outside the reach of God's saving work in the graciousness of Jesus Christ. So yes, I think sexual sin is indeed worse than other sins, both theologically and practically, but that doesn't mean you can't be saved if you commit them, or that if you don't commit them, you don't need to be saved. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all can be saved by Christ's finished work on the cross. Question two. We've established identity markers such as gay Christian are unbiblical and unhelpful, but what about immutable characteristics such as white and black Christian? Is it sinful to see ourselves in this way? Now, in my talk on sexuality, I referenced the statement from the ACNA College of Bishops that asked us not to use the language of gay Christian. That t- designation, the statement said, might allow people to found part of their identity on a disordered lifestyle or disordered attractions and cause them to stumble in our biblical calling to confess sin, mortify the flesh, and ask God for redemption. You might say that that's simple, right? The Bible calls same-sex lust as well as same-sex behavior, and indeed any sexualized behavior outside lifelong heterosexual marriage, as sin. The Bible calls it all sin. So, to call oneself a gay Christian, just like calling oneself a polygamous Christian or a promiscuous Christian, not to mention things like thieving Christian or white supremacist Christian, all of these things would be out of bounds. But what about, as the question asks, other adjectives, ones that don't have a moral dimension? Am I a white Christian? Certainly, in some sense, I am, but is that a helpful way? For me to describe myself. I mean, I'm tall, too. Am I a tall Christian? To what end would I describe myself like that? And I want to add another layer of complication. What is white, anyway? I mean, I personally am 50% Scottish, with the rest being a, a hash of Western European heritage, English, German, Irish, and so on. Am I grouped with just the people who share my exact mix of heritages or are all white people the same somehow? And how about black, are black people from Uganda the same as black people from Jamaica or from Atlanta? Black people from different tribes within the same country, I'm thinking of the Hutus and Tutsis in Rwanda, they come to mind as an example. These people often wouldn't think of themselves as the same. So what good then is white? or black. and Without getting too deep into the woods of the origin of the term whiteness, etc., I don't see any helpful result, and I spent most of this week trying to think of one, I don't see any helpful result in further categorizing ourselves as Christians, beyond redeemed child of God in Christ, even by our non-moral characteristics. And I do see it as potentially problematic. So, while to, to answer the question specifically, I don't see it as sinful in and of itself to identify oneself in that way, which is what the question specifically asks, I can see that it might possibly lead to sin. In fact, I would say it would probably lead to sin. For the Christian, as I've said, there cannot be any identification outside of new creation in Christ. That is who a Christian is, the identity. There are true things about us, of course, adjectives that are true. I am tall, I am white, depending on what you mean by that. I am an American, but none of these things are my identity. Neither is my heterosexuality. In my experience, when people, either gay or straight or white or black or otherwise, allow something that happens to be true of them to become part of their identity, even in a supposedly limited way, and that's what everyone would say, that these are just descriptors. We want to hold them loosely or not identifying with them fully. They're just part of my identity. Anecdotally and experientially, I've found that when people allow things like that to become part of their identity, those things tend to grow and grow and often metastasize and begin to take over the identity altogether. Identity, in other words, is a lion masquerading as a kitten. We think that we can control it, that it will obey us, but in fact it is prone to devour us whole. The gay or straight or the white or black ultimately becomes, in practice, more important than the Christian. Our identities, therefore, I think, must be ruthlessly single-faceted as the song goes, in Christ alone. Paul does not address skin color. Indeed, race is not a category known to the biblical writers. But while he does not address skin color in his letter to the Galatian church, he does address national or ethnic identity. And he refuses to allow it to differentiate people who have put on Christ. For as many of you, he says, were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. He goes on, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, Jew and Greek are not moral categories. Neither, of course, are slave and free, or male and female. It was not a sin to be Jewish, not a sin to be a Gentile. But insisting on the distinction within the church could and did absolutely lead to sin. This great equalizing passage in Galatians, in fact, comes in response to just such a situation where this kind of distinction drawing did lead to sin. Here's Paul describing it in chapter 2. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all. If you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Their conduct was sin. Says Paul. Not in step with the truth of the gospel. And what did they do? They made distinctions between people within the body of Christ. So let's not do that. I think white Christian, black Christian, tall Christian, short Christian, and any other adjectival modifiers need to be thrown away. Not that they're not true and they're not moral. But they are not helpful. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's only 1120. Those are the questions that I got. Um, As I said at the beginning, um, I don't want to consider these issues closed. We won't be addressing them regularly on Sunday mornings. We are still going to be about the word proclaimed, the sacrament received, and the scriptures opened. But these are definitely the things that the world is talking about. And I want to be available to talk about them too. Um, I should say, uh, for the record, how grateful I am to the vestry and staff and other leadership of the church for supporting me through the conception and execution of this class, for their encouragement and their biblical faithfulness. Few of them were even willing to look over the talks as I wrote them to lend another set of eyes, making sure that as best we can, we are faithful to God's proclamation on these topics. It would certainly be my job to Am I calling to address these issues, even if our vestry wasn't 100% in agreement? But we can praise God that our lay leadership is in fact united on these issues. Uh, we talk about them at the vestry and staff level. We pray for God's guidance, and we are committed to founding everything we do in this church on the solid rock of the biblical witness. Now, speaking of the biblical witness, we're certainly not stopping now. Um, Dr. Michael Nicholson, as I announced in church, is going to start his class on the Song of Songs. On October 16th, the whole reason that we organized this class and the sacraments class like this was that so if you wanted to do this class, it would be basically during the Ecclesiastes class. So he's got one more week of Ecclesiastes after this. Um, and then Mike Neal will, uh, on that same day, October 16th, start his class on the sacraments of the church right here in this room, um, baptism and communion. And make no mistake, that class will absolutely be a Bible study, too. Uh, So please come and study the Bible with us. Um, We do have a couple more minutes to talk. Um, Why don't I close us sort of officially in prayer and then we can hang out for 20 minutes. But let's pray. Thank you, God, for speaking into the world, for not leaving us adrift. Help us to understand what you've said in your word. Help us to submit ourselves to it. Help us to be the city on a hill that you've called us to be the salt of the earth, and a light to the world. We know that it is only in you and through you that these things are possible. Pray that you would bless this church, make your word go out from us, and accomplish its purposes. Redeem us when we fall short. Remind us that in Christ you are even now reconciling the world to yourself and that your mercies are new every morning.